tonight we start our conversation in Romans chapter 12 on what is called the motivation gifts. And uh, if you have been tracking with us, we've talked about how there are three categories of gifts, and those categories are motivation gifts, we call those gifts of the Father, uh, Romans chapter 12. There are ministry gifts, we call those gifts of the Son. It says Jesus, when he ascended, he gave gifts to men, Jesus Christ. And that's Ephesians chapter 4. And there are manifestation gifts, which we spent three weeks on, gifts of the Holy Spirit, manifestations or expressions of the Holy Spirit. And that was 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. We actually went through all those chapters uh, together in 1 Corinthians 13. We went through that on uh, the last class that we did called the Substance of Spiritual Gifts. So you may or may not remember that. But we are jumping right into Romans chapter 12 on the motivation gifts. I have a lot to talk to you about. I do plan on closing this conversation up within an hour. May God help me to do that. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, and it says this, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect." Verse three, I'm gonna stop right there for a second and wanna just say something about that verse. For whatever reason in the past, some of us have probably heard teaching about that verse where we've dissected it into three levels of God's will. God's good, acceptable, and perfect will. It's just, it's, it's just a run-on sentence. It's not meant to divide God's will in three different categories. It just means God's will is good, God's will is acceptable, and God's will is perfect. There's not three realms of God's will. Amen. All right, so we're just gonna keep going. If you never had that teaching, you are better off. Verse three, for through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts, you could underline that, that's a past tense term, it's very important in the conversation of spiritual gifts. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith. If service, in his serving. Or he who teaches, in his teaching. Or he who exhorts, in his exhortation. He who gives, with liberality. He who leads, with diligence. He who shows, with, or shows mercy, with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, and practicing hospitality. It's sort of a wonder if Paul misses anything. <laughs> Be devoted to one another in prayer, and don't forget this, and don't forget, he just keeps going, and there's actually more to this chapter, but we're gonna park it uh, right there. Let me give you a little bit of context as I've done with 1 Corinthians. Let me do that for Romans, and then we'll dial it into Romans chapter 12. But the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church in Rome sometime around 56 AD. Now we believe, scholars believe, that it arrived to the church in Rome. There were many house churches, but to the churches in Rome around 57 AD. And it's important, as you'll see in a moment, but Paul was most likely in Corinth while writing this letter. And as you read the book of Acts, you'll see that Paul had three missionary journeys that are recorded. And he's probably on his third missionary journey where he's in Corinth, not his first time, most likely not his second time, but probably in his third, uh, his third time being with the Corinthians, he's writing this letter uh, to the Roman church. And he was doing so because, as chapter 1 says, he's preparing them because he's going to come to them. Now, Paul, to the, to the best of our knowledge, has probably never been 
to, uh, to Rome to visit with the Roman churches. He didn't start the Roman church or the Roman churches in Rome. He wasn't the one to begin those churches. So he's speaking to them as one who's unfamiliar with some of the things that are that are going on there. He's not been there personally. And so he's speaking to them a little bit differently than he does to some of the other churches because he has, he's a lot more familiar with, with them. We don't really know who started the church in Rome. It's possible though, some people think that there were people who lived in Rome, Jews most likely who lived in Rome. They were actually in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out you know, they spoke in tongues, they prophesied, and it says that 3,000 people gave their lives to Jesus on the day of Pentecost. That's the day that the church was born. And so some people speculate that there were people there who gave their lives to Jesus and went back home and started a church at that, at that point. Now, we don't really know. That's just what a lot of people say and speculate. It's, it's a good it's a good idea. It's a good thought, but we don't, we don't really know that. But as the time progressed, we know some of Paul's friends and his companions were among the church in Rome. We know that because he actually makes mention of them in the book of Romans. He says, say hi to Priscilla and Aquila. And we think that in, in their home was where the church was probably born, in, in the home of, of a, Jew, a Jewish couple. Paul wrote this letter to lay a strong and thorough foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The book of Romans actually contains some of the clearest theology in the entire New Testament as far as it is uh, going from the gospel in its genesis uh, to Jesus giving his life, being raised from the dead, the implications for the Jew and the Gentile and how the two can come together. He gives a very clear presentation and there's good reason for that. Now, I thought it was important to bring up a historical fact. You may know this, you may not know this, but in, AD, in 49 AD, the Roman emperor Claudius expelled all of the Jews from Rome for various reasons. And so what, if you can imagine, this was, uh, there was probably a million people that lived in the in, inward parts and, and, and uh, outskirts of, of Rome as it, as it was. There's about a million people that lived there. There, there are maybe 50, 60, 70, 80,000 Jews, so not even 10% of the population. And in, 89, or in, in 49 AD, the emperor expels all of them. He kicks them out of Rome for various reasons. And so you have the church that's made up of Jews and Gentiles, and because the church started it, with some Jewish flavor to it, obviously Jesus was a Jew, and they practiced the feasts of the Lord, and there were, there were some things that were going on there, some, a certain flavor that the church had when it was born, and Gentiles were being added to the church, and as they were coming in, they were coming out of paganism, and then all of a sudden, all of the Jews have to leave, including Christian Jews. Because at that time, there really was no distinction between Christian Jews and Jews that just practiced Judaism, at least in, in terms of the, the way the Romans saw it at that time. And so it was like five years later where the Jews were allowed to come home, come back to Rome. And as they did, the Gentiles were in charge of the church. And now they didn't grow up with the law. They didn't have the moral compass of the law like the Jews did. They didn't have the foundation for which the gospel is uh, built upon. And so they're running the church for five years most likely. And the Jews come back and it's only a Gentile church at this point. And many people had come to faith in Christ. And so as they step back into the church, they're probably like, uncomfortable, unfamiliar with what's going on. And so you can start to understand why Paul wrote some of the things that he wrote when he clearly lays out the gospel and how that relates to the Jew and how that relates to the Gentile. It makes a lot more sense why Paul would have wrote such a serious and thorough theology and foundation of theology to them because he wrote this to them in 56 AD and it got to them in 57 AD. And he wants to make his way there so that he can be among them and encourage them to do life together. That was one of the hardest things in the first century was for Jew and Gentile to do Christian life together. There were a lot of differences and they were trying to reconcile that. So Paul, in a lot of his theology, he's trying to help them with the macro version, the overview of how this all works from Old Testament to New Testament, from Old Covenant to New Covenant. And you can understand that maybe a little bit better uh, with just a little of that history. So they're acclimating. He's writing this doctrinal treatise. It's one of the most uh, insightful and thorough um, presentations of these truths that he, that he gives, that Paul gives out of his 13 letters. And in Romans chapter 12, 
The focus now is on how they, can, uh, how, can they, how they can be unified in their diversity. And isn't it appropriate to then talk about how gifts, different gifts, can bring about unity in the midst of diversity? It's actually what he's talking about in some of the principles that he shares. The gifts of God cause the different parts of the body to come together and complete each other. It's very powerful. Now, I want to give you some principles for motivation gifts. We call these gifts motivation gifts based on what we read in 1 Corinthians 12. I'll read that to you. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4. Now, there are varieties of gifts. I want to make a distinction here. There are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of ministries. Remember the ministry gifts. Ephesians chapter 4. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. There are varieties of ministries. The same Lord. There are varieties of effects. This could be the varieties of manifestations. Manifestational gifts. The manifestational gifts that we talked about are not possessions, they're expressions of the Holy Spirit. In other words, as we come together, any one of us can be used by God in any one of those nine gifts that's mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12. But the difference with motivation gifts is that when you become a Christian, these gifts are sovereignly given to you by God and they're hardwired into who you are as a person. And that's quite a bit different than ministries because not everybody has an Ephesians 4 ministry. We all have a leaning towards a ministry, but it doesn't mean that we've been given that gift because it's a gift of government, it's a gift of leadership, and not everybody in the body of Christ has one of those. But everybody in the body of Christ does have a motivation gift. Now, as you'll read these gifts in Romans chapter 12 with me, it's very clear that these gifts are all in some way or another very Christian and Christian character and of course how we all ought to be and in one way or another we're growing in all of those things just in character to be more like Jesus. But we have a drive, we have an inward motivation, we have an inward drive that compels us to be like this above and beyond those other things. It's part of who we are. So as we talk about these motivation gifts, what we're doing is we're trying to discover, you and I want to discover what God has given to us so that we can partner with him and become more effective in our ministry. Amen? So we know that we have motivation gifts, each one of us. We can be used in manifestation gifts at any time as the situation arises. And some of us have been given a ministry gift, a gift of government, a gift of leadership as Jesus has decided. So I want to give you some principles uh, just three of them. Hopefully, it won't take very long. Number one is everyone has a primary motivation gift. I just said that to you, but let me read the scripture that says that simply. In verse four, it says, for just as we are many, have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function. You can reread that. All the members do not have the same function. So people that say we have all the motivation gifts, that's pretty clear. So we who are many are one body in Christ, individually members of one another. This is what we call interdependence. Now for those of you that don't like to talk about dependence because you've just, you've just got free from codependence, all right, codependence and interdependence are not the same thing, amen? They're not the same thing. So be encouraged that God has wired the body of Christ in such a way where we literally need each other. We need each other to accomplish the purposes of God, to strengthen the church, to build the church, and to advance the kingdom of God in the world. We need each other, and God has arranged it and ordered it in that way. That was his design. That was his wisdom. We who are many are one body in Christ, individually members of one another. Since we have a past tense term, which you'll also find in 1 Peter 4.10, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. God has sovereignly given each one of us a motivation gift, a primary drive. That we, it's like our go-to. It's that inward compelling that each one of us has. And, it has, and maybe you haven't discovered that yet, but you, you can. We can. And God willing, he'll show us that during our time together. Paul says we are many but don't have the same function. We're all different with different functions. He uses past tense, as I said. So everyone has a primary motivation gift. The question could be, does everybody have more than one? I don't really know. <laughs> it doesn't say that, uh, and, it, and it doesn't not say that. So I can't answer that question. I could say it's, it's, it's possible that you could have two primary leanings, but I can't for sure say that because it doesn't say that to me. So 
Let's just stop where scripture stops. Number two, everyone has a different measure of faith for their motivation gift. Verse three says, God has allotted each one a measure of faith, different measures of faith. Here's this concept of faith, not just in Jesus for salvation. We talked about saving faith, but this isn't that kind of faith to be saved. This is faith for what God wants to do. So we have been given a gift, but we've been given faith to exercise that gift. This is where you would talk about different levels of gifts. Have you ever seen somebody function in like the gift of prophecy on a certain level, and then somebody else comes in and starts to prophesy on another level, and it's like, what is that? (laughs) It just seems like quite a bit difference. And it doesn't mean that this isn't a gift from God, or this is somehow not as powerful as it, or as important as this gift, but God releases a measure of faith to each one as he releases that gift to each one. So there are different measures of faith for the motivation gifts. You could say, well, that's not fair. I guess it's not. Hello, hello, hello. Okay, you guys good? I don't know, this one. That's awesome. All right, verse six says this. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, different measures of faith. Once again, there are two verses that refer to what, what I'm saying. If prophesy, So the word proportion is a metric. There's a measure that he gives, a measure. If you were to take a tape measure and you measure out 42 inches, that's, that's the proportion of his faith. In other words, if you've been given the gift of prophecy, prophesy to the measure, all the fullness of the measure to which you've been given. He's encouraging them. Now, you can grow in faith in using your gift. I believe that 100%. But initially, we're each given the gift and each given a measure of faith to use that gift. And here is the kicker. If we don't exercise the gift that we have been given, we do not grow with more faith to use that gift in whatever way that would glorify Jesus. We don't. That's why gifts can lie dormant. We can bury our gifts. We can put them into the ground. We can never use them. And when we do that, they do not grow in our life, and they do not help people, and they don't serve the kingdom. So that's not what we're here to talk about, but that's a reality. Our, our faith, in gro- it, it grows in God to be used by him in the gifts that he gives. So whatever measure you have isn't where you stay, but it is where you stay. It is where you stay if you don't use the gift that you have, okay? This is where we see the same gift functioning on different levels. Now, you all, have you all seen that before? You've all seen the different levels that God uses people, and it's not an unfair treatment of God. It's really for his purposes. He knows what he's doing. He knows why he's doing it. But I do think that people that are used in, in higher capacities, I think it really is a result of faith, I think it really is a result of faith. So we can't actually say it's unfair because if we're sitting at, y'all ready for this? (laughs) If we're sitting at home watching Netflix and there are other people who are pressing into their prayer closet and they're being used of God wherever they go and exercising that gift, hey, it's all fair here. God is using those that are stepping out. He's growing their faith because they're using their faith. Faith isn't just something to believe in your head. Faith is actually meant to exercise And the more you exercise that muscle, the more God will use you for his glory and and his purposes. And we're not suggesting for ourselves or anything anything like that. So anyways, everyone has a different measure of faith for their motivation gift. It can grow as well. Number three, everyone must discover and exercise their motivation gift. Paul mentions this and the results that will follow us being people who give our gifts away. We need to discover the motivation gift that we've been given, and we need to learn to exercise that gift. It's something that's very, very important. Now, if you've sought to understand what that is, there's, there's really no reason to be frustrated about that. I mean, all of us want to know what God's given to us. But if, you're, if you haven't discovered what that is yet in terms of a motivation gift, it's, it's no worries. You just seek the Lord. You ask people around you. Based on these seven gifts, one of the tests that we have taken in the past is we have some questions that we actually ask you to send somebody that knows you really well, somebody that's, you know, spirit-filled, somebody that loves the Lord. Don't send it to your friend that, doesn't think, that thinks the Bible's a crock. That would be a bad idea because they're just going to say, I think you're, you're nutso. And, um, you know, I don't know if that's warranted or not. But anyways, if you don't do that, if you send it to somebody that believes the Bible, somebody that knows you really well, and they'll answer those questions 
and it won't come out of your self-awareness or your lack of self-awareness. It'll come out of somebody else's knowledge and hopefully right perspective of you. So we want to discover and exercise our motivation gift. Now, if you asked me the question, if you said, Ben, can God use the motivation gift in you that he's given to you without you knowing it? And the answer is very simple, of course. But when you discover what God has given you, and you partner with him, the magnitude of your ministry in Christ is that much greater. God can use you without you and despite you, and that's awesome because he's God. But he wants to grow us and develop us to a place where we partner with him in his purposes. And I want to make a statement. There is no value in ignorance whatsoever. I mean, that one you can write down or whatever you want to do with that. Let it just play pinball in your mind. There's no value in ignorance whatsoever. Ignorance is not bliss, all right? Not in this. Maybe in other areas of life, but not as it, as it pertains to spiritual gifts and growing in the Lord. God knows the plans he has for you, and he wants to reveal them to you. He wants you to partner. He wants me to partner with him in his purposes. And when we discover, when we employ, when we exercise, we see God do great things among us. Amen. Now, I want to talk to you about three gifts, motivation gifts tonight. And the first one is prophecy. The second one is teaching. And the third one is encouragement. You'll remember that we talked about prophecy already. We really talked about the prophet, and we talked about prophecy as a manifestational gift already. So some of this will be review, but maybe we'll, we'll touch on some things that we didn't before. The definition of prophecy as a motivation gift is very similar to the others. Prophecy is to hear from God for a person or a people and to speak what God is saying. Now let me give you a little hint as to whether or not this is you. A person who has this gift is always thinking about what God is saying, whether it's right or wrong. You're that person. You're always thinking about what God is saying, whether it's right or wrong. This is most likely, if that's you, this is most likely your function. It just is. You're not thinking about what so-and-so is thinking. Uh, you're not thinking about how you can serve the person next to you. You're not thinking about how much money you have in your pocket because you want to give to that person that just gave a presentation about what they're doing for the Lord. You are thinking about what is right and wrong about what is happening in this place. <laughs> you're thinking about what God is saying. You're, you're being reminded that we didn't pray very long during the service or before the service. That's you, sir. That's you, ma'am. That's you. The motivation gift of prophecy. A person who has this gift is always thinking about what God is saying, right and wrong. And hopefully, it grows and matures to the place where it's not just focused on the wrong, but it's also obviously focused on what the Lord is saying in the midst of all that. Now, prophesying is to foretell the present priorities of God. It's to speak for God. Isn't that incredible? It's to speak for God. Not in his place, but as he speaks through you, it's to be his mouthpiece. In the Old Testament, a prophet was a mouthpiece of God. Now, they had the law in the Old Testament, so it wasn't as though they didn't have something that referenced the, the eternal truths of God. They had the Old Covenant. They had the Old Testament. They had that in writing. They had that in stone. But there were still prophets that would bring people back to the righteousness of the law. They would speak the truth of the law, and they would speak to the people what God is saying right here and right now. Whether it was judgment or whether it was promise, it's to foretell the present priorities of God right here, right now. It's also to foretell, to say something before it happens, like a natural disaster is going to come. Now, we've all seen people that have tried to prophesy things that have not come to pass. We've seen that before, and obviously they were not hearing from the Lord. There are a lot of people that have spoken for the Lord, and they've missed it. That has happened. Some of them were false prophets. Some of them were prophets or prophetically gifted, but they had a false word. And there's a difference between a false prophet and a false word, and you, you need to know that. And you'll have to take my understanding prophecy course to learn the difference on those. There's a lot of Bible verses behind that, okay? A prophet will prophesy, but not everyone who prophesies is a prophet. It's very important. Now, remember, just, just to go over this by review, a prophet has authority as an office gift, 
that authority can manifest in many different ways, but they have governing authority that God has given to them. And one of the ways that it manifests is they equip other people to hear the voice of God. Now that we are in the new covenant and the Holy Spirit has been poured out, everybody in this room can hear the voice of God. We don't have to go through a prophet anymore. Right? We don't have a mediator anymore. Moses, you go on the mountain, go hear God, come down, tell us what he says. We don't have to do that anymore. I'm not saying the role of the prophet and them prophesying isn't important, but a prophet's primary job is to equip the people of God to hear the voice of God themselves. That's the primary job of the prophet. Now, he prophesies or she prophesies, but that does not mean that somebody who has the gift of prophecy as a motivation gift, is a prophet. It's very important. A prophet has the gift of prophecy, but somebody that has the gift of prophecy isn't necessarily a prophet. Are you with me? The difference is authority. I'll give you an example. I worked in an accounting department of a large fireplace manufacturing company, and in that accounting department, all of us were trained to do the functions of an accountant. And so when you went into this department, you had to learn everything about that department so that we made no mistakes. That was, that was our our statement in that department. It's not a mistake until it leaves the office. That's what we would always say, you know, oh, <laughs> that's, how we would, that's how we would work. But every one of us had to learn all of those functions. Now, there was one accountant. That one accountant carried the stamp. He carried the authority. He was the only one that was the CPA. He had to oversee all of the functions of the accounting department. We knew what he knew. We could do what he could do, but none of us, could, none of us had the stamp. So he carried an authority to oversee the functions, and he carried the stamp. He had the authority to make the calls that none of us could make. But we all did what he did in that department. Does that make sense? The difference was authority, and so it is in the body of Christ. Prophets have the gift of prophecy. They have the function, but prophetically gifted people don't carry that authority of the prophets. That's the difference. Now, the manifestation gift of prophecy is that all of us can prophesy because we have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So as the need arises and prophetic words are, are needed to be given, then any one of us can hear the Lord for the person next to us or the people in front of us, and we can give that prophetic word as the Lord gives that gift. That's the manifestation gift, where the, he, he expresses himself through whomever he wants to in the body. That's why when you come here, you sometimes will get a word from God for someone else, and sometimes you won't. It may not be your prophetic gift, but it is the anointing of the Spirit to allow you and enable you to prophesy. You guys glazing over, or are you with me on this? All right. <laughs> so there are three primary ways that you're going to receive a prophetic word. You're going to hear something, you're going to feel something, and you're going to see something. And I know we don't like the word, if you're a Bible-believing person like myself, you don't like the word feel. You just don't, not in church. Did he say feel something? I did. I did. You're going to hear something, you're going to feel something, and you're going to see something. Hearing means you're going to hear an internal or an external voice. Feeling something means you're going to get an impression or a sense. It's another way of, of having like a gut feeling. That's how the Hebrew people would say that, have a gut feeling. That's where that came from. They were referencing an impression. They had a sense, an internal sense, a, feel, a feeling. Now, we, we also can see something, a vision, a dream, a picture. And you don't have to close your eyes for this. It can be external or it can be internal. Now, if you're not hardwired for this or it doesn't happen to you very often, you may not relate to all that. You may go, well, what's that like? But there's some of you, and I'd like you to raise your hand if this happens normally for you. You see, hear, or feel something that is from God for other people. Just go ahead and raise your hand. It's okay. It's not about pride. Just raise your hand. Okay. There's maybe like 15, 20 of us in the room. And so you probably already know that that's your motivation gift. And if you don't, you can be sure that the difference between you manifesting the gift of prophecy and having the motivational gift of prophecy is there's a normal flow. When there's a normal flow, like me, for example, I don't have to ask God for a prophetic word. It just happens. I just don't have to ask. Now, I do ask sometimes because I'm, the need has arisen, and I'm not sensing, feeling, hearing nothing. You understand? <laughs> but I don't know what else to say, so I need God to speak. But there's a flow that's there. It's like the faucet is on. I don't have to turn it on. It's just on. And it, doesn't, it isn't like that every day, every waking second, but you'll notice it's, it's on a lot more often than it's, than it's off. Okay, does that make sense? All right, so you hear, you feel, you see. There's some scripture references. Acts 11.27, this is where Agabus, who was a prophet, of course, predicted a famine, so the church took up an offering. 
And I, and I just want to say, like, we need to get better at utilizing these gifts. So when uh, prophetic words are given, we shouldn't just go like, oh, that was a pretty good word, walk away, never remember it. Listen, if God manifests the gift of prophecy among us and we've not been trained to receive prophetic words and weigh them and pray about them, then we need an upgrade in that area. God doesn't just want to speak to be heard. He wants to speak also to be obeyed. He wants to speak so directions and instructions and corrections can be applied. Now, I'm not suggesting that when a prophetic word comes that we automatically say, that's God and we need to respond right now. That's, that's not biblical. What's biblical is we weigh and pray through that word, depending on whether it's directional or instructional or not. Now, I always have a, I have a lot of instruction when it comes to prophecy. I do have a course on that, and if you're interested more about that, we'll, we'll go through that um, later, uh, later this year, hopefully, and I'm, I have a book coming out about it, too. But one of the things I tell people is when you have a directional word, if you feel like you're, you, you've received a directional word, they're just basic things. You never come up front of a, in front of a church and give a directional word in a microphone spontaneously. You never do that. Why? Because it's an issue of authority. You wouldn't come to my house and uh, just all of a sudden look at my kids because you had a sense from the Lord and tell my kids how to do their devotions in front of their parents. What would you do first? If you felt like you had a word from the Lord about how my kids should do something in their devotions, what would you do first? You talk to the parents. Why? There's an issue of authority. So when you're in someone's house who governs, who oversees, you don't come up and tell everybody what you believe God is going to have us do in this next season because the leaders pray through and fast. I mean, we go away. We, we take it seriously. We pray. We fast. We seek the direction of the Lord. So if you have a directional word, maturity says you go talk to the leaders so that they can pray through that because then the leaders are responsible to turn the ship in the direction that God is calling us to go. But for whatever reason, we've gotten to a place where prophecies are so cheap that people don't know these kinds of things because usually people don't act on prophetic words. It's just like another prophetic word didn't touch my life, didn't change my life. We might as well just kick it out like the rest of the things that didn't really resonate with me at the time. Did you, you with me on this? It's very important to understand that prophetic words are not sugar pills. They're not given to tickle our ears. They're not given to just encourage us a little bit. Some prophetic words encourage us. Some comfort us. Some give instruction, correction, and some give direction. And that's where that different measures of that gift actually makes a lot more sense. Now, Acts 21.12, Agabus gives another prediction about how Paul's going to be delivered into the hands of the Romans. He does it in kind of a weird way where he, he ties his hands and his feet uh, with, a, with Paul's belt. And he says, the man who owns this belt is going to be bound like this and handed over to the Romans or handed over to the Gentiles. It's sort of a strange way of, of, of doing that. It's called prophetic acts. And I've done that before with certain things. I won't give you those stories, but it's happened. And the Lord's directed me to do certain things that I've, that I've done. And, and he'll do that at times. And then I've seen other people say they were directed by the Lord. And, and let's just say they often weren't. But so you want to know that you've got to grow in those areas. If you're going to do prophetic acts, uh, you want to you really be hearing from the Lord and have some accountability in your life. 1 Corinthians 14 says, uh, prophecy brings strength, encouragement, and comfort. The primary function of the gift of prophecy is to strengthen the body of Christ, it's to encourage, exhort the body of Christ, and it's to bring comfort to the body of Christ. Those are the three primary functions of prophecy. There are additional functions to prophecy. This is the normal flow of what happens when we gather together. But the Lord does raise up people with levels of prophecy where they can speak into things that are not only on a church level, but on a, na on a regional level, on a national level, and an international level. I talked to you a little bit about that before. Some people have that anointing. And if you don't, if you do not have a regional, national, international anointing from the Lord, don't speak in the name of the Lord about what he's doing in the nation if you're not raised up to do that. That's called presumption, and people get into trouble when they try to speak onto bigger platforms than God's raised them up to speak on. That's how we get into trouble. Everybody say trouble. Trouble. If God hasn't given you that kind of authority, do not assume it because you will be wrong. You will be speaking your biasms, your opinions. And I've heard people say this over the years. They've told me, well, in the spirit, God has given me that authority. And I say, well, in the natural, you don't have it. So until God gives that to you, you just pray about it. Amen? 
It's called intercession, and you should be doing that at home. But we don't know you, so there you go. Give me that microphone. And I want to raise up prophets, and I want to raise up prophetically gifted people. I do. I'm not afraid of anything. I want people... Uh, people that come and speak prophetic words, I make a hero out of everybody that tries. I want you to know you're in a safe place. If you give a prophetic word and it's off, I'll pat you on the back and say, good try. Way to swing. You swing for the fences. I mean, you missed, but that was a good try. Because I think that this needs to be a safe place to train. You know, when I, was, when I started out and God was giving me prophetic words, I didn't know how to share them. I didn't know how to share them at all. And there was this expectation from people that weren't trained, that didn't understand how to develop people, that if your prophecy wasn't 100% accurate, then you just weren't speaking for God. And it was like, what kind of pressure was that? I mean, that was this non-developmental perspective. And I thought, what preacher could preach under that kind of pressure? What preacher could give a sermon? I mean, I'm not kidding. What preacher could preach the eternal truth of God under the pressure that you better get it exactly right every time you step up and speak to God's people? You had better interpret the Bible exactly how it was written, how it was spoken. You better get it perfect 100% of the time. That's a lot of pressure, ladies and gentlemen. And I'm telling you, folks aren't getting it right 100% of the time. And I actually, I have a belief system that says if you're preaching the Bible and you're preaching it inaccurately, that's actually more dangerous than giving a prophetic word that's inaccurate because that word is eternal. That might be the first time you heard that, but I believe it. And I say that in the nicest possible way. I think it's more serious to inaccurately teach the Bible, because it's eternal for all people, for all generations, for all time. It is the word of God. It was given by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, canonized for every generation to read it, to adhere to it. I am grateful for prophetic words, but they are not on the level of the canon of Scripture, of the 66 books called the Bible. They're not on the same level. They're not for the same purpose. And as we know that, we can have a generosity towards gifted people that are developing their ears to hear and their words as they communicate. We can have a generosity, not because we want them to get it wrong, but because we want them to grow in confidence and humility as they share prophetic words that are helpful to the body of Christ, that they know that if they blow it, we're not going to throw them out the back door. I got thrown out the back door, ladies and gentlemen. I'm telling you, it doesn't feel good especially when you're looking up to people and they're supposed to help you develop. I want to tell you, I say this to you and I mean this, I'm somebody that will help you. I will help you. If you blow it, I will still get behind you because we've got to learn how to develop. None of us has a license to sin, but all of us have a license to grow. And if you don't have a license to grow, it's called perfectionism and it's not from God. It does not help people. You watch, train your children that way. It will kill your kids. You understand what I'm saying? And so in the spirit, as we train people to move in the power of the Holy Spirit, as we train people in the gifts of God, we've got to do it with a generosity, wanting accuracy, but that knowing that that takes time to get there. And if we don't have the kind of patience that like a personal trainer would have, as somebody is being trained as somebody is being strengthened, as somebody is being equipped, if we don't have the patience to disciple people, then we just simply can't make disciples. And that is why we don't have people that prophesy in the church. It's because we either extinguish the prophetic or we want it to be at Isaiah level and, it's not, and we don't know how to develop people to get there. Even though we don't believe that level is available. Isn't that, doesn't that suck? We don't even believe that people are going to prophesy on the level of Isaiah. But for whatever reason, we want them to be 100% there without our help in the process. No more. That, that's unacceptable in, in my theology. It's absolutely unacceptable. You and I are people that grow day in and day out. We grow in the knowledge of the word. We grow in our communication ability. We grow in our understanding of God's voice. We grow in our clarity of God's voice. That's why we need humility. That's why when you and I believe we're hearing from God, we need to be humble about it. That's why I train people. I say, never say God told me to tell you. 
Don't ever say that when you're starting out. I don't care if it's the first five years of you hearing from God. Don't talk like that. Just tell people, I was praying and I had this sense, or I was praying and I had this picture. I was praying and this scripture came to me. This very well could be from the Lord. Would you pray about this? But too many people get on a stage and walk around and talk big, but it doesn't bear fruit. And so if we have humility and we have a process and we understand that we're to weigh the words that God gives, I'm telling you this will grow to a place that we all want it to be. And that's all I have to say about that. All right. Function of prophecy is to strengthen, encourage, exhort, comfort, confirm, reveal. I've gone through these things before. We're going to move on to teaching. All right, the gift of teaching is the ability to provide practical instruction for kingdom living through biblical truth. A person who has this gift is always thinking about how to help people understand. A person who has this gift is always thinking about how to help people understand. Here's another way of saying it. I want you to get it. (laughs) I want you to get it, right? There's There's a difference between knowing something and understanding it, right? comprehension. I want you to comprehend what is being said. I want you to comprehend what God's word means, and I want you to get it into you. I don't just want you to know it and recite it. It's more than that. A teacher is not just somebody that imparts information. The teaching gift, the motivation teaching gift, is about imparting revelation from the word of God. It's not just somebody that wants to be a professor. It's not just somebody that wants to teach because they love teaching. It's somebody that has this internal motivation to equip people with the Word of God, with the revelation of the Word of God, with the truth of the Word of God. It's somebody that has insights, and they're thinking about laying foundations and helping people to grow. This is, this is the gift. The gift is it's not about information. So communication is obviously the key, and these people, I, for whatever reason, these people that have this gift, they attract the hearing of people. Sometimes they'll put folks off a little bit because they're, they can tend to be very linear. <laughs> like, you know, A, B, C, D. You, you understand how that goes, right? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. It's this internal compelling to draw lines straight, right? To straighten the crooked paths. It's to help people one block on another. So they grow in communication, and this person can sometimes sound very sterile. They can come off very sterile. First Peter chapter 1 says, you know, they can, have any, have you, any of you ever listened to A.W. Tozer teach before? Anybody know who A.W. Tozer is? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you have read his books? One book at least. How many of you have listened to him preach? Most of you have not. That is painful. <laughs> painful. I'm not kidding. I love his books. I'm a fan. Matter of fact, I read more A.W. Tozer than almost all the books, modern books combined. I I love like Watchman Nee and A.W. Tozer, and I go back to that stuff, right? That's those are my distant mentors of times past. I read all that stuff, but I, I notice that when I listen to him teach, I am like bored to tears. There's no in uh, fluctuation. It's I mean, it is sterile. It's like a hospital room, you know? I mean, you don't know what's going on here. Somebody is going to die and need to be raised from the dead. But this guy is accurate. I mean, he enunciates his Greek and Hebrew to a T. And he would probably be offended if you didn't. That's the kind of teacher that he, that he is. I'm not saying everybody that te- has this gift is like that. Some people are very inspirational. Some people are, are very much, they draw you in. But there are also people, it's, it's all about being right. So there's a combination depending on the personality that can be mixed in there. But yeah, I mean, I think I was looking at his series on First Peter one time, A.W. Tozer, and I was going to teach the series on First Peter. And there was like 26 messages on First Peter chapter 1. I was like, 26 messages? 26? It was like introduction part 3. I couldn't believe it couldn't believe it. I think I got halfway through and I would bang my head on the wall and I was done. Picked up my Bible dictionary. The person gifted with teaching has the ability uh, to communicate things so that people get it. Now the scripture references, we see teaching all throughout scripture. Jesus was a teacher. He taught with authority, Luke 4.32. There were many teachers of the law. I'm not suggesting this is the same. The early church had identified teachers, Acts chapter 13. It said there were prophets and teachers in the early church. 
in the church of Antioch. There were prophets and teachers. That's when they fasted and prayed. And Paul, and I think it was Barnabas, or Paul, yeah, Paul and Barnabas, they were sent out on their first missionary journey because they heard the Holy Spirit say, set apart for me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work I have called them to. So there were prophets and teachers working together. The early church had false teachers. Just like there were false prophets, there were false teachers. You see that in 2 Peter 2. There's another passage as well. We're all meant to teach in some capacity. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. And teachers actually help us with foundations. They help us, those of us that don't have that gift, to learn how to teach in our homes and, and wherever else God would allow us those opportunities. So we were, are very, very grateful. I know somebody that has this gift of teaching. I don't think they're necessarily a teacher. They don't have that kind of authority like a Ephesians 4 office, but they're a teacher. And man, they do the best notes in the world. I do basic notes, but they give you like seven page outlines for one hour of teaching. And they would get angry at me for preaching an hour and a half like I did almost last week. They would get upset with me. They're like, everything you need to say should be inside 45 minutes, Benjamin Dixon. That's what they would say to me. And I would conveniently not listen. I've been taught selective hearing. The Bible is the basis for all teaching, 2 Timothy 3.16, right? All scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching, reproof, correction, on and on. Now, the function of teaching is it helps us differentiate right from wrong. Teaching instructs the body in, uh, into obedient action. Again, Matthew 28 18, discipleship can't happen without teaching. It's one component of discipleship. Remember what Jesus said? Make disciples, right? Go and make disciples. Did you guys, didn't I tell you last week, go is not the command. Make disciples is the command. Go is actually, a, a, it's a different terminology. He's saying, as you go, like they're sitting on a, a mountainside, and he's saying, as you walk down, as you go down this hill, because you're going to, and I'm going to ascend, you're going to go. As you go, make disciples. That's the command, and it's often the command that we, that, we don't, that we don't adhere to. But he says, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. He doesn't say teach them to know it. He says teach them to obey it. And isn't that different? Would you guys say that there's a difference between teaching people knowledge and teaching people to live? There's a massive difference. You can't teach just with like this kind of patty cake version of truth. You've got to help people understand this is how Jesus wants you to live. This is what Jesus wants us to do. It's not uh, up for grabs. This is his commands. This is his calling. This is his righteousness. This is his reality. This is what he's called us to be and, and to do. So teach people to obey what Jesus commanded. And then teaching equips parents to raise their kids in the Lord. Obviously, teaching is something that first starts in the home, and, and we, would, we would hope that teachers would employ that there and then give us their notes when they've, when they've done that. Amen. All right, number three, encouragement. Moving along, encouragement. Here's the definition. It's the ability to come alongside someone in order to strengthen comfort, comfort challenge, and counsel with both words and action. You say, Ben, how did you get all that from the New American Standard Bible version of exhortation? So I want to give you just a little insight on this. If you read the version that I gave you on Romans chapter 12, it does not say encouragement. It says exhortation. How many of you remember that? That's the gift. The name of it in the New American Standard Version is exhortation. But when you look up what that word means in the original language, it means all these different things that doesn't drum up in your mind what you think of when, when we probably interpret exhortation. When I think of exhort... I think of strength, I think of challenge, I think of charging people. How many of you with me on that? That's what I think of. It's not the same thing. When you look at this word, this word probably is better summed up as the word encouragement because it means all of these things. It means to, it can be translated as comfort, count, uh, console, entreat, implore, and counsel. The tra that translation is, is similar all over the Bible. It's translated differently, this same word. So you've got to be aware of that because the word exhort isn't the right, in my opinion, it's not quite the right word in our language or the way that we use it. So the word, uh, the gift of encouragement. This is a person, a person who has this gift is always thinking about how to help somebody grow. So this would be you. In, in a room, if you're always thinking about how to help somebody grow, if you're the 
if you're the gift of prophecy, you're always thinking about what God is saying. You're always thinking about right and wrong. I mean, it's definitions and descriptions. If, if, it's, if, it's, if you're a teacher, you're always thinking about how people can get it. Like, you'd be criticizing me right now. If you're the te- teaching gift, you'd be like, man, I would never have said it like that. I mean, I don't think people understood half of what he just said right there. I really, I, I'm serious. I mean, he should have come at it from a whole different angle. I would have sat down and whipped that outline into shape. And, <laughs> I mean, seriously, I could have done him once over, and that would have been a whole teaching makeover show is what we could have done for Ben. That's what you're thinking, not really with me, maybe other preachers, but you're probably thinking that at some point. And so you want to make that gift useful not critical, just saying. But the encouragement gift, you're sitting there and you're thinking, how can I help somebody grow? You're probably thinking about the person that's back home, or you're probably thinking about the person that you were praying for today. You're probably, right now, you could be thinking about the person that's not doing so well, and you want to lift them up. What, what can I do, Lord? How can I come alongside them? What can I say? What can I do? Anybody in here, you're already thinking, when I say that, that's you right now. I just hit you. I shot an arrow and nailed you. You know who you are. That's who, if we were just to sit, sit down for a moment and we were to say, Father, speak to us, guess what he's going to do? He's going to speak down that channel inside of us that he's already put there. And you're going to go to that person that, that, that needs help because you're automatically thinking they need your help. Now, you know that that means God's help. But you're convinced that God is, wants to use you in, in that relationship. You, you just can't. You're, 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 <laughs> your problem is that you think you can save everybody. That's your problem. Can I talk to you for a minute? That's your problem. And we could just all be honest for a moment. We can't save everybody, but you, you tend to overdo it a little bit. All right? You got a nice tool bag. You console, you comfort, you counsel, you give advice. You're a good communicator. That might be who you are. And, you're the initiator, by the way, and you might get frustrated at times because people don't initiate with you. You're always initiating with them. Sometimes you get a little tired. Sometimes you get a little weary. Can't somebody call me? Why do I got to call them all the time? That might be you. But you're compelled, and you need to settle into that gifting. I'm not saying that everybody that's an, an initiator has that motivation gift of encouragement, but it could be a trait. And you need to settle into the initiation that's on your life. That's a gift from God. The fact that you're thinking about people all the time and other people just, they don't go to sleep with you on their mind, but you might go to sleep with people on your mind. That's a gift from the Lord. You might not like it at times. You might not want, you just want to go to sleep and think about nothing, but that's the Lord in you. He's compelling you to pray and to think about people and to reach out to them. It's a gift from God. So initiate and and initiate well. The scripture references are like Hebrews 3.13 And the writer of Hebrews says, encourage one another today as you see the day, which is the day that Jesus returns, as you see the day approaching. But that word encourage is the same word in Romans chapter 12 for exhort. It's the exact same word. Encourage one another. Stir one another on to love and good deeds. Help people rise up. Help people to walk in the truth. Actually, the writer of Hebrews is writing to Jewish believers who've been waning in their convictions. And many of them are going back into Judaism in ways that, that uh, Jesus had fulfilled some of the things. They're actually considering animal sacrifice again. And I think, personally, I think Hebrews is a prophetic letter because it's not very many years after that where the temple actually, uh, one stone upon another, it crumbles. I, I think it's very prophetic where the writer of Hebrews is saying, don't go back to Judaism and animal sacrifice. Don't go back to that. Jesus fulfilled that. He was the lamb slain before the foundations of the world. He was the once and for all sacrifice. And isn't it interesting that the temple was taken down just a few years later? Encourage one another today as you see the day approaching. And so we're to do that. We're to stir each other on with, with this gift. Acts chapter 4, verse 36. Maybe you've heard that a companion of Paul's, his name was Barnabas, and it says in verse 36 of chapter 4 that the apostles called him the son of encouragement. The apostles, it wasn't a name that he woke up in the morning with, thought, I'm the son of encouragement. Like his dad's name was encouragement. That's not how it worked. It's that the apostles referred to him this way because of what they saw in his life. And so when we talk about this gift or this motivation, that's what we think of. We think of Barnabas. And in Acts chapter 9, verse 27, Barnabas found a man named Saul, who we know as Paul, and he was, uh, he was trying to minister, and actually Barnabas took Saul, and he brought him before the apostles in Jerusalem. And he endorsed him. He vouched for him. 
he encouraged him. He walked, he came alongside Saul, and Saul became Paul later on. Isn't that amazing? I mean, can you imagine encouragers in the room? Can you imagine that it could be in your ministry, it could be in your wheelhouse, that God will use you to walk alongside an apostle, a prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher, that you could actually be walking with, vouching for, endorsing somebody that could change the world. And you're frustrated that you might not be changing the world, but your job is to steward what he's put in you. And doing that, you're going to raise up other people, and those people might be a fruit that you've not even thought about before. I can't imagine that Barnabas ever thought that he was going to release and encourage and validate and vouch for the greatest apostle that ever walked the earth outside of Jesus Christ. I mean, I don't think he thought that was going to be something he would do in his future, but that is exactly what he did. It's, it's amazing. So we look down on the little that we're doing, but the little that we're doing could be coming alongside people that are the Billy Grahams or whoever of our, of our day. The, Dan Moeller came alongside a guy named Todd White. I mean, who knew? Who knew? Who knew these people were going to go all over the world? Who knew these people were going to stir a revival in nations? I mean, who knew? We have that capacity within us if you're encouragement motivation. Now, the function of encouragement, and we'll close, is to accept. People with this gift accept others and bring them in. They, they, they have this interesting ability to look past things that others will judge them for. Now, I'm not suggesting, like, for example, you, you could have a person that's under church discipline. Maybe they've made a mess of their life and they've harmed other people at the church and they go astray, they go away. But a Barnabas, an encouragement gift, could go find that person, and even though they're under church discipline, they could restore them because they have this profound acceptance that's really from the Lord. It's not just, I really want them to like me. It's not just, I really think that I'm better at doing this than the church leaders who put this person under church discipline. It's not any of that. It's that there's something that compels you past the discipline. You just have this profound acceptance that you can't shake. And I, I've watched people do that. I, I've, I've gone like, wow, you know, this person needs to kind of live in their consequences. But I've watched somebody go and grab that person and, and not let them go too far and, and, and restore them back. It's incredible. That's what Barnabas did for, for Paul. The second is discern. They have a unique ability to see what people are going through and know how to help them. See, you need discernment if you have this motivation of encouragement. You need discernment to see what people's problems really are. Because it's not a, hey, yeah, I hope you, have a, hope you have a really good day. I just want to encourage you. You are amazing. Matter of fact, you're the best person I've met today. You are just awesome. You are wonderful. And, you, and that person says that about everybody, and it becomes cheap currency. Man, this is, I hate it when people introduce me and they say things like, he's the most incredible whatever. I'm like, gosh, you better just shut your mouth right now. <laughs> I, I am not the most incredible whatever you just said, but it so turns me off when people do that. But that's what somebody with this gift will do. Is it superlatives? Is that the right word? They speak at these, these uh, superlatives, these high-level words. You're the most incredible person on the planet, right? Of all the planets that exist in the solar system, that's you. You're the best person in the world. <laughs> They, you know, I'm exaggerating, but you understand what I'm saying. <laughs> so we're not talking about necessarily that. We're saying there's a discernment in the encouragement gift that you can see what people, where people are. You can see what they're going through and help them where they are and help them with what they're really going through. That, that's what helps people become, turns a Saul into a Paul, right? That turns a Saul into a Paul. So you need this discernment and develop. This gift enables a person to disciple people well, bringing wholeness and restoration. I would actually say that many who have the motivation of encouragement in their life, exhortation in their life, they, they care a lot about restoration. They care a lot about seeing people restored back, not just to Christ, that they have the ministry of reconciliation from darkness to light, from death to being alive. They have that. But more than that, people who are in Christ being restored so that they're living the life that God truly wants them to live. Wholeness is a part of their vision. I want to see you at your full potential. I want to see you walking in everything that God has for you. There's a compelling in them. And it just itches at them when they see people. Like, oh, man, you could be. It's not to put people down. It's just they see that potential. You could be so much more than you are. They wouldn't say it like that, but you understand that's kind of what compels them. So their development ability in them, they're good disciple makers. They're, communica they're good communicators. These people tend to communicate well words, counsel, next steps. 
They tend to say the right thing at the right time. And there's just a, they give, they have keys that unlock people's hearts. I don't know how to explain it. I feel like the way that I would say it is, is that God gives them keys, clear words. It's not just good advice. It's the clear words that like unlock a heart, right? You could give the, you could give a good word to somebody and they walk away and forget it. But if you have like a key, it goes, it penetrates the heart and it unlocks something that people can start to see themselves differently. I gave a word to one of our guys on our team and I had labored over some stuff, and I just gave him a word about how he should see himself. He, he, uh, and, it, and it helped him. It helped him see himself the way God wanted to see him. And it was a key that unlocked his heart. I feel like people that have this motivation gift, that's a flow in their life. They look at people, and they think potential, and they think, what's the key that unlocks their heart to walk in what God has for them? It may not happen all the time. It may not be these earth-shaking words every day, but it it speaks to the character of a person. It speaks to the potential of a person. It speaks to the future of an individual. And then they're willing to go beyond that word, not just the prophecy will give the word, but the gift of encouragement will come alongside the person to see the word come to life. So if you remember my definition, this is why I said it this way. I'll say it and then we'll close. Uh, Drew, if you would come. It's the ability to come alongside someone in order to strengthen, comfort, challenge, and counsel with both words and actions. It's not just encouragement with words. They're also with their presence, who they are, and how they are to the people around them. They're very attractive spiritually. They're, very, they're magnetic almost. They draw people to them. It's, it's hard to dislike them. You want to falsify them as like, oh, that's too much. You're fakey. You're just, that's not real. You know, because they'll go after people and they're tenacious. They're relentless, right? They're just relentless. Anybody resonate with that gift in here just immediately? As I'm talking about it, you're like, you're ringing my bell, Ben Dixon. All right, well, way to go, guys. Here's what I, here's what I want to do to close this. And online people, you can't get out of this, all right? I know you want to tune me out. But we're coming to you live and direct in your living room, on your computer, across the nation, from coast to coast, from city to city. <laughs> it's just me being stupid, sorry. I want to close this. Uh, did I get under time? Can you believe that? I could preach more. Let's, let's get out your Bibles real quick. <laughs> no, we'll do, we'll do four gifts next week. Um, some of them are a little, uh, they'll, be a, they'll be quick, but... Um, Here's what I envision in closing. I, I want to be clear. I, I, I know I gave you a motivational gift survey to do. And some of you did it, and many of you did not. And I'm not upset about that. I see your full potential. I believe there's more in you, specifically as it relates to the survey that I gave you. <laughs> I just think there's more in Jesus' name. No, um, I gave you that survey, and I want to I be very candid. I don't believe in surveys. Can I be that? I just want to be candid with you. I don't believe in them. However, I think something's better than nothing. So I've come to a balance where I think that when we can start to do something and start thinking about it, it'll kickstart our mind and our thoughts to go down that road. So I didn't give it to you to waste your time. It only, it only took you maybe 5, 10 minutes or 15. I don't, I don't know how long, long it took you. But I did that just to kickstart us going, going down that road of thinking about motivation gifts. But I wanted, I wanted to say this. I believe that if you really want to know the gifts that God has given to you, that God will show that to you. I believe that with all my heart. I believe that you can get a download from God. He can tell you right now. I've walked past people, and one time I remember when I taught a class like this, uh, let's just say where Leah is, I walked past a gal uh, that my wife and I know, and in the natural, not just spiritually, but in the natural, I saw this word over her head. It was in big block letters, and it said exhortation. It was strange. It kind of freaked me out a little bit because that doesn't always happen to me. So I walked by and I went, whoa. <laughs> and then it went away. It was kind of like a neon sign. And then it went away. And I stopped and I shared with her that God had given her this gift of exhortation. And what was amazing was after I told that to her, she ended up going to YWAM for many years. And I gave her a word about that too, which was, which was awesome. And I'd forgotten about it. She told me a long time, much later. But she pressed into that word. And that was the difference, is that when I told her that, 
she pressed into that word. She started to study what it meant. She went to the scriptures. She read all of them. She even read some books on it, what other people said. She asked friends of hers that knew her if this was something that they saw in her life. I just was profoundly touched by the way that she went about discovery. And I wanted to share that with you because you may not get somebody else giving you a prophetic word to give you to help shine light on what gift you have. That might happen. But I just want to tell you, that can also go south on you. Like, for example, I've had everybody tell me, you're an apostle, you're a prophet, you're an evangelist, you're a pastor, you're a teacher. I mean, I've, I pre- as far as other people are concerned, I'm pretty much all of it. I'm like, I just received that right now. Thank you. I'll take a little bit of that too. Why not take a little bit of evangelist while I'm at it, a little bit of teacher? But I'll tell you, sometimes in times and seasons, God will anoint you for things too. So I'm very open. But I, I, of course, whenever I get a prophetic word, I weigh it before the Lord. I don't assume it is the Lord. I weigh it before the Lord. But I take it seriously because God has given me key words in moments of my life where I was truly seeking something. And Scripture is, was general on that area. It told me that there was a lot of gifts. But it, di- it didn't tell me which one I had because my name wasn't in there. I mean, I'm in the Old Testament. So it didn't, tell, it didn't say Ben has this gift. It just said, here are all these gifts. So if we pray, God will share with us often what that gift is. And if you can't get, if God doesn't share that with you, or maybe you're just learning how to hear the voice of God, talk to people that know spiritual gifts, sit down with them, buy, buy them coffee, buy them Starbucks coffee, buy, come to their office and buy them coffee and, and talk for an hour in front of them and let them weigh and pray with you while drinking that coffee, amen? And, and skip the grande, go straight to the venti. I mean, Trenta if you want, I mean, it doesn't matter. I mean, be about it, you understand? Hey, go for the long meeting, go for the long meeting, you know? <laughs> Somebody needed to laugh, it's okay. Just let it out, don't hold it back. So what I'm saying to you is, is that there's a way to go about learning what God has given you. And then there's a way not to, and that's just to do nothing. So if you're here and you're, I just want to tell you, if you're here and you're frustrated because you don't know, I want to encourage you and I want to invite you into moving down that process where you could discover it. Not in like a frantic way where it become it consumes you, but in a way in which where you talk to the Lord about it, in a way in which where you meet with somebody and you share with them your heart, like I want to learn what God has given me. You're not frantic about it. It doesn't change your relationship with God where that's what you only do. But it's just part of now your discovery. It's part of your development. And that just sounds very, very normal. It sounds very helpful to me. And I believe a lot more people would know what God's given them if they would just simply do that. They would just simply do that. But doing nothing brings us nothing. Okay? Doing nothing brings us nothing. So I want to encourage you down that road. Tonight, I want to... I want to, just with you, I'm I'm just going to ask the Lord, since we're having this class, I'm asking him to honor the fact that we're here to learn and to grow in our gifts. I'm just going to ask him to honor that. Lord, would you honor our time together? Would you reveal the gifts that you've given us? Would you stir up the gifts that you've given to us? Some of you here, you've got gifts, but they're dormant in your life. And I want to encourage you. God wants to stir those gifts up. He wants to use you again in ways that you've never been used before to, to bring him glory. And when it's all about Jesus, we can be so encouraged to stand up tall and to give away what he's given to us. So let's let him stir us up in new ways as we pray these prayers tonight, okay? Andrew's going to lead us. I'm going to pray. And if you need to know what God's given you or you just need a fresh stirring, you can just pray while I pray as well. Just ask the Lord to do for you what you need him to do for you.